So your profession or your practice requires you not just to, to, to create the work, but take it physically and manifest it all over this global village. And I think you, if I'm not wrong, like many people, not just sometimes you can't get out of the house, but you can't get out of the country. Um, you're pretty much grounded. And how is that affecting you? Not just the, both in terms of your practice, but also getting it out there these times. Thank you, Yao. Thank you so much for having me um, in your on your platform. Very interesting. Um, um, I welcome the intervention. I welcome the curiosity about how is my practice continuing in this global challenge and continuity is the key here. What does continuity mean? It has a new meaning. I, say, I would like to think uh, with a lot of cultural producers around the world. And I think there needs to be a re-engagement about this whole idea about continuity with regards to practice. Um, I have gone deeper into myself. This is what this is, um, where I have found it. I have found that um, it has become necessary to, to filter and to filter with regards to enhancing and advancing one's vision with regards to your practice and your art. Um, in fact, to go beyond the art actually, because to say something is art and to make art, when you're using the word art, you're talking, sometimes you're talking about something quite structured in a lot of people's minds. But I like to go beyond art itself to go back to the purity of existence, you know, and, and of course, I, I use materialism in many ways to achieve that in, in terms of wanting to, to make the participants in the work, meaning that people who engage when they see it, um, to go beyond themselves into the purity of existence before consciousness itself. But let me just come back down to earth in case people get confused about where I'm going with this, because like I said, this is what um, this new challenge um, is not a, you know, it's a challenge for a lot of people, but I have, like I said, I've gone back into myself. Um, I call myself a transdisciplinary artist in the sense that um, I would like to think that my work um, transcends its own self because it takes um, the experience that the viewer or the or the engager or the participant in the work as they come upon it um, to another level of you know what is this about this I've, I've not seen something like this before and it's about healing ultimately and which is why I use the word healing chambers with regards to um, the type of installations I make. Um, performance is one of the main expressions in my work. And when I say performance, I mean working on gesture, working on certain movements that question why people do things the way they do it, when they do it, and how they do it, with regards to 
where they contort their bodies to do certain things. Because people every day are challenged to do sometimes the most impossible things, and this affects you psychologically. So this is where the ethereal comes in with regards to projecting my performativity onto the space through my spatial works. So in doing my transdisciplinary works, um, transcendence is very important. I look at the, for instance, the carnival, um, which has that quality because of its varied rituals. It's a very ritualistic platform, artistic platform. And it is a huge art exhibition, the way I look at it, because it's very, it's a superstructural platform. And the whole idea of procession, which is a repetitious kind of gesture, that is performative as well. This is, this is the tradition of, of our art here. It's very performative. So I tend to absorb that into, into my visions, into my expressions. Well, I'm thinking... And again, uh, we're talking... About, sorry. Pardon? I'm thinking... Dare I say... Continue? I'm thinking, dare I say, Minshaw um, comes to mind, River in particular, in terms of that movement of spirit and cloth and light and air. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The ritual of, as he calls it, the mass. In your case, it's transplanted, it's, it's, it's transcended the season and the moment of carnival, because Mitchell, for instance, as a carnival artist, is looking to, to climax um, on the stage, on the Savannah stage, Usually right. in, in the waning light, you know, in that, that, that flux of sun going down and that beautiful um, golden backlight that sort of let, um, gives spirit to the spirit. <laughs> and I'm seeing that. And this is the interesting thing about Carnival. It's the interest, that's the interesting thing about Carnival. It's very environmental. And I tend to call myself an environmental artist as well. Um, and this is the beauty of it. It is street theater but it's but most importantly for me it's environmental because it does work with um how should i put it it does work with the weather it works with the light and the space of the environment itself and of course the people are the environment ultimately in the space of the environment so there's so many interesting confluences convergences um, with regards to um, you know making this performative processionary pronouncement in the space in terms yeah. of healing um, in terms of like what would you say I'm sorry for my interrupting but uh, I'm just kidding but um, or not but what would you say in terms of you see you talk about healing and, and your thing it seems to be a balm for wounds um what are the dimensions of the of, of healing 
what are the things you are talking about, the forces or the energies that, that you're talking about healing from, you know, what, what, what wound is your work bombing in humanity, for instance, or is it personal, or is it societal, what is, what is it, you know, because you see, I'm getting a sense, you see your work as a bomb, it's not um, just a, a, a pretty mass frou-frou thing, but um, it has a spiritual no. power to transform. The, yes. What I found, one of the most transformative aspects of, well, again, I will digress into the carnival platform again. What I found, what I find important is the, the juve, the, the mud mass for me is, is very, very powerful in its presentation. With these, what I call spirit beings, exhuming themselves from the earth and walking the earth all caked up in all this earth which is the mud traditionally mud everybody's wearing different colors these days on their skin but but um the visceral the, the viscerality of it with the earth on the skin and the procession of these bodies hmm. It's, it's the, you know, these spirits making, opening this new day, this opening this platform for which other activities um, pronounce themselves, you see, is for me very potent, very, very powerful, you know. Um, it's a, you know, the, you know, carnival is a very powerful medium because of these different events, but I've always found the juve and the mud mass to be something very special. Mm you know very very special another surreal aspect of the carnival i also found in the fancy sailors hmm. they are very surreal and i also find the the all-stars presentation the all-star they are a pan group which is very interesting but they are also a processionary mass mm -hmm. too as they play pan as they move and they they're all powdered up in white they're all in white and that is very surreal you know I found I find these very very um, very very powerful um, presentations. Yeah, which have a deep effect on me, I must say, and I'm sure on a lot of other people well, who engage them. Notice that you wear yeah. a lot of white. I don't want to call them robes, but you're 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 you have um, you're very distinct when if anyone meets you, you just um, you know. Well, in white, yes. Yeah, um, gowns or robes of white, you know. Always. Yes. What the, that's usually, or not usually, but typically, sometimes it's the color of the initiate, say in um, Santeria or so on. But um, what, mm -hmm. what's, what for you is the symbolism of that, you know? Well, I find the, um, the white for me is, 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 is deeply spiritual for me. Um, it keeps. I think it keeps me centered because it is seemingly this blank canvas, so to speak. And what it does, it evokes a kind of wide open space upon which I can just, it's like a beacon, it's like I can see a beacon before me, even though I am wearing this white, but um, I find that the it reverberates around me, hmm. I think. I would say that this kind of light 
mm-hmm. around me when I wear and when I walk in in white. Mm. In its different structures on my body or whatnot. It's the same. I can see that. So, mm-hmm. so at times when I wear this white, um, it's not. I don't really mean to be too self-indulgent, but since you asked me the question, mm-hmm. but wrong. this is how I see why you know it's for me. It's another. It's it's just a way of of me keeping in touch with my inner self. Yeah. From in, in this in in this um, wide ranging. Um, environmental entity mm-hmm. in called the earth itself not just Trinidad but the world but the globe mm-hmm. the planet and the universe itself you know in in film terms I know that definitely you're looking at one of the most reflective reflective um, surface silver of course white <clears throat> and it tends to in the, in the films you said when you make films you know if you're using um, reflectors mm-hmm. you're using silver or white you know because it's giving off that that um, it, it's it's resonating off the skin and the the costume, you know, it's bouncing the light and it's um, resonating off the physical object you're filming, the human being, their clothes and everything. So it's a very fundamental thing. We can talk about aura and all that. It's a kind of sort of a, but yeah. Well, it's that too, you know, that kind of ambience is an ambient kind of medium. Yeah, I want to say a little thing, a simplistic maybe, but since these days, I don't know if it's climate change, it probably, but um, it's unusually overcast and rainy these seasons. And At this point, yes. And sometimes very mm-hmm. hot. But um, I have had to adjust because when I was living in, in, in the States or North America and winter and all of that, <clears throat> um, you wouldn't see the sun as much, you know? And yeah. Same thing with being in London and rain and or Seattle and Washington State, you know, they kind of be, tend to be a little bit rainy. I don't want to stereotype. Sorry, folks, friends there. <laughs> but, um. Yes, I've lived in England for some years, so I know exactly yeah. what kind of weather they, they have there. Well, I have it a rain. It's quite I, dark I, and, um. It, it reflects in all the, the palette of how the people painted in Europe and all of that. Um. Yes. Same with our palette, but. What I'm saying, we're changing, you're not necessarily the sunny, sunny place. Now, we never, were never the sunny place. We had wet, um, rainy season and dry season. <laughs> but I find it's much more um, typically overcast than it used to be. So what I've done, same principles from film, eh? very simple. Very, I'm a very kind of simple fella to wear. But um, my latest glasses, I got, um, I got a particular tint of yellow on them. I'm actually wearing them now. So it tends right. to, to, even if it's overcast, it tends to boost the, everything looks sunny for the most part, you know, and yes. it, it actually has affected my mood. So I kind of keep it, I kind of turn them on when in, in the morning I put these on and I tend to take them off when the sun goes down. So I kind of keep an artificial light uh, sun going and I even wear them until the sun goes down because it, it, it just sort of drags the dusk um, a little further <laughs> so the light doesn't fall. And, you know, that affects, you know, mood and so on. So I could see that. And this constant resonance of white and, and I guess it's a kind of an aura. I think that's fantastic. Um, and I'm getting a better sense of it. The other thing, I don't want to indulge myself too much, but when people are putting reflectors, let's say I put a white reflector on a character um, 
you uh-huh. see you'll see in their eyes and this is what helps you pull the eyes out in a shot eh? but um you'll see the, right. the little white reflected in the in the pupils now and it pumps then it pulls the eyes out and i would imagine right if, if i'm looking at somebody's eyes including your own that's standing in your radius in, in, in enough light that you kind of pull in the, the, the eyes out giving it life that's why you give life to eye people's eyes or actors eyes in film you know one of the ways but um, mm-hmm. so I can see you actually being around a group let's just say we're just hanging out Lyman and you're around a group and we in uh, some lit area and we are kind of seeing each other kind of come alive in the eyes otherwise we call it I call it dead fish when you don't have a reflector in the actor's eyes and they kind of don't have that little pinpoint of white or silver so yeah it can actually animate see all of these kind of things happen hitting us subconsciously perhaps but this is things kind of anime subtle things that animate things you know um in terms of your performance yeah. i'm seeing it much more um i'm seeing your performance much more um visceral much more liminal you know it's right there at the same time there's something that I like is a mystique that I don't quite get it neither do I want to quite get it. I'm kind of taken along I can also like a Rorschach test um, bring my own interactivity to it because I think I saw a performance well it was on a film performance you did I think it was at an, on an old plantation right. somewhere oh um, are you talking about the one in Martinique I believe so But I got this yes. haunting. I mm-hmm. just got this. I don't know if you had this in mind. And I have to be careful too as an artist. Um, sometimes I don't really want to know too consciously about my process. So like you know. So let me know if I'm um, trespassing on your your practice or your thought process or your creative process. But I got this thing of the place being haunted by the spirit of the dead, like the slaves. Who me? Who him? Who's me? Yes, that's what I got. I was. I got. I'm getting chills now. But yes, because of mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not climate change only. I'm getting chills. But yeah, when I saw that, I got these chills because I got that feeling um, of this sort of ghost floating, ghostly spirits floating through the contemporary space of the plantation and haunting it. You know, and this is a feeling I get personally yeah. when I go to places like Lopino in Trinidad, which was to be very brutal slave master Count Lopino that we seem to venerate in terms of keeping the place clean. Yeah, so people seem to have this veneration for, but they don't seem to understand. Yeah, but <laughs> there was a time. Behind yeah, at the time I went to uh, um, one of them family day, sports day things. Everybody happy and eating and playing sports, you know, children and things. And um, I just had a flashback, man, and I said, "Geez, I'm just seeing the ghosts. Everybody's sort of oblivious to the history, what's under their feet, the blood and bones. But I had a flashback and I said, yes. wow, you know, this place is haunted. And I think if we knew we're on top of what we stand or walk or sit. Um, yes, exactly. That's what I get in, sometimes when I see that performance, a couple of other things. I get these kind of weird flashbacks. And I'll, I'll let me indulge me one thing here. I was filming a burial ground, slave burial ground in Aruka. I was doing actually a documentary called 
Testament about the Ethiopian Orthodox Church in Trinidad. Right. <clears throat> and Kez was, I know, I had Kez talking in um, uh, Amharic and, you know, from the, and reading. And it was, mm-hmm. but ostensibly it was about um, the slave burial ground that they were, to, were celebrating and, and recognizing. And it was on the edge of a housing development, state housing development, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, after everybody packed up and left, I hung back with the the young guy who had grown up in the area, who was a custodian of the site, and he was living in a little sealand trailer kind of on the site, you know? And we were hanging and talking, because I just wanted to, you know, after doing a little filming, I just wanted a little background to the film, because I got to put this thing together. <clears throat> and we were, I think we were sipping a little cherry or something, and whatever else. And it just hit me, boy, and I said, in the middle of things, he was telling me about the place and the burial ground, and I just, something hit me, and I said, where's the real burial ground? And right. Like, what are you talking about, boy? I said, listen, dude, I'm not feeling the vibes. And eventually he took me up in my Jeep to the, where they had already built the new houses. They hadn't been occupied yet, but they built, right. built the new houses. And I said, my God, they need to tell the people who got, you know, who are going to move in here, the families, because they may be living on the, on top of their ancestors' um, graves, you know? Yes. <clears throat> and those days I was driving around with a Jeep all over to and Tobago and by the rivers and right. so on, and I had a couple of white candles and stuff in the pocket of the Jeep. So, you know, I burned some candle on the wall, and I guess I scraped it off and cleaned up before occupation. <laughs> But that's the kind of crazy right. stuff, you know, we live in over all kind of estates, you know, old sugar estates where a lot of people died and were killed. And that blood has been watered, you know, the streets. Um, so it's all this kind of, it might frighten people. So I don't want to get too far, you know, um, into that. But I guess you get, this, this is a sense I'm getting in some of you, not all of it, but some of it strikes me as a, a haunting, you know. Mm-hmm. As uh, this, 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 this kind of well, yes, because funny enough, with, with, the, with the work in Martinique, particularly, um, I was um, well. I would like to, well, I would, I, I would say that I was in a trance state, mm. and the intention was to um, manifest this um, elder woman who was probably an enslaved African woman on that plantation in Martinique. And that particular plantation, St. Marie, um, holds a very deep emotional connection with the people of Martinique, that particular location there. So a lot of people were very emotional. People were when I did the performance, actually, through mm. tears and stuff like that. Mm. And it was a very deep experience for me. One of my deepest experiences of doing um, you know, any any of the performances, that particular work. Isn't there, um, that's where they have the iconic statue as well? Um, on that plantation, you mean? Yes, there, is there any statue anywhere? I have not seen, I can't remember seeing any particular statue honoring anybody in particular. But I, do, I don't know why I felt I wanted to invoke this um, woman in spirit mm. form, this elder woman, to give her a voice mm-hmm. that hasn't been heard. Mm-hmm. Channeling, you know? channeling I just spirit. felt that vibe, vibration. Mm-hmm. 
Have you been and to I, Germany? And I did a two-week, I did a two-week preparation to get to that state. In fact, that was just the performance was just one thing. I mean, I did other uh, connecting activities to that, where I um, I did an installation work inside of the building of that um, rum making um, estate, sugar, sugar, you know, sugar and rum making estate. And in one of my installation sculptures, I filled a huge canvas sack filled, they were filled with bottles with messages in them, empty rum bottles with messages mm -hmm. in them. Mm -hmm. I engaged a local primary school or a couple of, of schools, secondary schools actually, and asked the teachers to get the students, I would like them to write a letter to a beloved person or beloved relative that they knew who has been deceased. Whomever that may be, that they love so much who has been deceased. And put the letter, and I put these letters into the bottle. And the, the, the teachers told me on feedback with that, they said there were a lot of tears when these students were writing these letters. I also received a message that I should write a letter to my great-grandmother you know, I received a mystical message to do that. So I felt that was the hundredth bottle. So and these bottles filled this sack and these sacks were nailed with rusty nails onto this. They were actually nailed. So it's, it's very, you know, it, it's, it might have um, connotations with um, West African sculptures, um, Yoruba, um, old Yoruba, um, shrine sculptures with, mm. that have been embedded with nails, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. this is some figurines or whatnot. This is some. So that was actually one. Mm -hmm. No, you. Mm. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yes. So, so that was one aspect of that. So that was one of the activities of doing that. And I actually created a book of drawings, a huge book of drawings, actually. Um, which was part of the installation. And then of course you had the performance and then um, an edifice was built, made out of palm fronds by a local crafts, craftsperson. His name is Makia. So he built this, which, which I call the womb center, hmm. um, which was something, a structure I engaged, that architectural structure I engaged when I had to change from one, um, from, from the particular performance body piece I wore into white during that performance, actually. So there's, there were several things that, um, what you saw on film, that was the main performance, yes, but there were other important activities. Um, and these activities, for me, um, allude to how the carnival is run. Hmm. And I don't mean it, and I, when I talk about the carnival, I, I'm talking about the different activities that make up the carnival is. I make it, a, I talk, call it a superstructural, um, approach. It's like a total, it's a total art experience, and put it that way. Hmm. In German, they call it just some fun's work, you know, hmm. in German. So that for me is what a total art experience is, hmm. or total art approach is. You know, so that is what into that experience on that plantation in Martinique uh, 13 years ago. Wow. 30, or 20 years ago, I think. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, 13 years ago, yeah. That, it was 14 that, years ago. When that was staged and filmed? Pardon? That was staged and filmed that long ago? Yes. Oh, well, that's very I'm shocked. That was that year, that was the year 2004, let me think. No, 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 2000 and... It was 2007. Wow. Well, that because I saw it. Well, that's not, 13 years. That's that's 14 years ago. I saw the film yeah. of it not that long ago. So that means that you're on well on the way to transcending um, time. You see, this is something I think about your work. I, uh, in my in, in regards to my own work too, to a certain extent. But um, this thing doesn't have a time stamp on it. It seems to transcend time. And well, yes, you know, this is it. This is what this is about. What I want to get yeah. to too, as well, is um, two things. Because sculpture, architecture, you're using terms there that are fixed. That 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 form is fixed in time. You know? Right. And I'm very interested because your thing is a living um, sculpture to me that doesn't have it's not fixed, you see, it's it's moving like a carnival, like a mass, and it's moving sculpture, um, propelled yeah. by human energy and gestural and so on. And um, when you when you want to multiply that by to by the factor of it um, transcending time as well, it gets to be there's a timelessness that is critical, you know. I'm thinking of Wilson Harris and Palace of the Peacock and mm -hmm. the the arc of the whip and the echo of the whip and the, the, the timelessness. Um, remember Marley too with um, Bob Marley with. Um, Redemption song. None of them can stop the time. Very, very important. Very important. Um, the other thing is, I, you know, I filmed this. I did this feature called Haiti Bride in Haiti. It was, I started right after the earthquake in 2010. Right. Um, have you ever been to Haiti? I've never been to Haiti. I've, I, I've always um, wanted to go. I always planned to want to go to Haiti because. Um, mm. There is something important I want to do there, actually. Well, I'm seeing that because... <laughs> you know, I have this, I have one of my crazy ideas that I have that I want to, want to um, carry out in Haiti. But yes, um, well, I've not been yet. Mm -hmm. I have not, not been, to date, I have not yet been to Haiti. But that is my intention. But uh, I say that because you, you came to mind, well, in one particular location, I shot at the Citadel, um, which is the Great Fort, that was supposed to right. um, meet on the, the mountain top, and it's right. huge and sprawling, and it was built with blood and animal blood and molasses and straw, and it's held up. It held up through time, supposed to deter wow. the French from invading. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, that that's one area I filmed um, um, scene, but. There's another place that comes to mind. I also filmed the scene, and I can tell you, strangely enough, your art came to mind, and that was in 2012 when I went back to finish the film. And right. that is the, mm -hmm. the, the, the Palace of Sans Souci, which is, was, right. which is the, the, the Versailles um, in Haiti, the, the, the Palace of King Henri Christophe. Right. Of course, Christophe eventually um, shot himself in a silver, with a silver bullet in one of the rooms, and the place was burned to the ground, ransacked by the people. But the shell of right. that 
uh, I don't like to call them ruins, but the shell of that that palace. Mm -hmm. I filmed inside, you know, the characters walking through the corridors, the empty corridors, walking up and through in a kind of labyrinth. I mean, my thing was symbolic of a lot of things, you know. Um, but I just had, just saw your stuff while I was there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not Minshaw, no, I'm kidding, I'm just teasing. But I saw the the spirit um, going through the corridor. I got a sense of, wow, I wish I could have shot that, you know? My wow. thing was deliberately mundane because I had regular folk, <clears throat> the couple in the film, you know, they were supposed to have a honeymoon and it never came off after the earthquake, blah, blah, blah. So this is kind of two years later, they go back to the place, you know, and walk through the ruins. What, what I would say would be, or the remnants of the palace, and it's so echoey and red brick. Um, it's, it's very, very cute. It's huge, expansive, haunted. It's like a big haunted house or castle. And I just right. had this one figure I could see going through there. And in the end, actually, what I did was I cut back from that them in the corridors, walking through the corridors of the Palace of San Susi. I cut back to the, their their wedding. Um, which was interrupted by the earthquake. And I had the bride, of course, especially in her very um, voile, um, they call that thing, veil that she had, wet, uh, 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 bridal veil. I bought a new fees and tuna puna in that clothing store and took it to Haiti and, and the, the white dress and thing. Now. So I actually cut back to her, but so they would have flashbacks. It doesn't connect the two spaces perfectly, but that was in the, the, the cathedral, the Catholic cathedral, um, Notre Dame, which was the main Catholic cathedral, huge, that was destroyed as well. And I filmed that in the ruins with her and the groom in the ruins of, inside the cathedral. So all of these things just sort of meshing, you know? And I'm getting it, you know? I'm yeah. getting And it's something I just, Haiti is one space boy. Um, at some point. Sounds really, um a deep, very deep experience there. Well, yeah, at some point, um, I'm, you know, I've seen you there. You know, you have to be there at some point. I know you were in Nigeria for a while, for instance. Um, how was that? I mean, how long were you in Nigeria? Well, I was in Nigeria for seven years, actually. Um, I was a student there. I was studying um, the textile traditions there. And, um, but apart from that, of course, I um, presented work there as well. Um, but when, I mean, Nigeria as an experience is, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite complex. And, um, it took me a while to get used to, um, the environment that is Nigeria itself, the people themselves, um, to understand how they speak, even though they speak, they have, of course, uh, more than 500 languages. Yeah, I know that. Um, but even to understand the English took me, you know, it's, it's of course it's a dialect of English, but it took me a while to understand, to, to understand that. So it took me about a year to acclimatize to Nigeria, you know. Of course, it doesn't start after the year, it just continues, but... Yeah. So that I get able to navigate myself, you know? I was, you know, a year, you need a year, about a year to acclimatize. Okay. Um, and, um... But what was viscerally interesting was the... Um... 
was the seizing amount of people you see around you and the amount of children. Um, and also the um, the homogeneity of the people itself. It just sees all African people. Yeah. Um, but different different um, ethnic ethnic groups like Igbo, Yoruba. And of course, different ethnic groups. Hausa, and then of course, so. mm-hmm. you can tell by looking at people what part of Nigeria they come from. You know, you get a acclimatize to those differences as well. Can I, you know, can I ask a question? Can I ask type a quick, of di- I type just, of diversity, you know? I want to jump in a qu- quickly too, eh? Now, um, I was born in Ghana. You know, I've been to a number of African countries as well. Um, I was filming yes. some, showing my work in others. Um, I'm asking, do you get a sense when you in Trinidad, for instance? Do you get when do you do you see in people? Um, distinct ethnicities that you can trace to areas of West Africa, particular. Um, you mean just by looking at people here in Trinidad? Yeah, yeah, different ethnic groups, you know. Can you yeah. see someone yeah, who looks um, Ashanti to In certain ways, yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, you have the different ethnic groups in Nigeria, and then, of course, mm-hmm. they have these differences in different parts of the African continent as well, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So it's so diverse. You know, and then of course the way people, even the way, even the dialect of English changes throughout Nigeria, where people speak English, because there are a lot of places, especially in the northern part of Nigeria, where they they don't like to speak English. They like they more into their own mother tongue, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But when they do speak their dialect, it's of course is very different from the southern part or from the western or the eastern part of Nigeria. Mm-hmm. You know, of course because of their Different, and of course, the average Nigerian person speaks about three or four languages. Yeah, you know, but that's one of the great things because um, that kind of tri- multilingualism is linked to yes. intelligence, you know, because definitely there's also a thing with that is one of the things I found about Nigerian people really quite um, spellbindingly, um, amazingly, at the intelligent people. Mm. And knowing so many different languages, and and they seem to when they speak a foreign language. When I say foreign, I'm talking about, for instance, a European language. Mm-hmm. They can learn that within a couple of months. They can, you know, two or two or three months. They can fluently speak <laughs> a European language, like German or something, yeah. or whatever else, you know. But yeah. within the continent, mm. continental people tend to speak a multitude of languages within the continent. Yeah, there's also a dimension where they, if if they speak um, multiple languages from from birth, basically, when they first start yeah. speaking, um, they tend not to. They tend to see it all as one language and not as they don't dichotomize it as somebody who's you know studying languages and this is French and this is this is Yoruba yeah. and so on. So, but there's there's some theories about that. I think it's quite fascinating because a small place like Saint Lucia. Which has been mm-hmm. population-wise, which has produced two Nobel Prize winners and counting. <laughs> um, yeah, that's quite astounding, isn't it? Yeah, yeah <laughs> but then you see, um, they as they are bilingual. Not you know, they're not consciously necessarily bilingual to themselves, but they con- they're speaking Creole and um, English. You know. <coughs> so yes, they are, and. Um, to brain development and sharpness and things that. that I mentioned that in an essay that I wrote some years ago 
I found that the, that solution has a very African, um, you know, the way they speak the Creole, for instance, is, 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 is a, has a very deep African resonance mm. in the dialect and the way they speak it, mm. you know. Well, boy, so if that's that the case, one of the things I noticed. That's the case. You gotta check Haiti, boy. You know, Haiti critical. It's a very interesting, and I don't have to plug my thing, but the Haiti bride film I did and became in 2015, I think it became the first non-African quote-unquote feature to be in the main selection at Fest Parker, which is Africa's greatest film festival. That's Wonderful. In, you know, it's in a in But indeed, this right. is a very big statement because they adjust this particular film. I don't think it's so much about me my skills as a filmmaker, I think it was the depiction, the people in Haiti in my film, um, it's very hard to, um, it's Africa, you know, yeah. and they had a diaspora angle to it for the years, but this was Africa, they put it as African. Um, there would of be course, because of Haitian people are, I mean, the way they speak, the way they, from what I've seen anyway. Yeah, and yeah. The, 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 um, I mean, it's a francophone. It's quite remarkable. Yeah, it's a francophone set up in Burkina Faso. So there was a. There, it's like, you know, within the Creole world, um, in terms of when the, what, mm -hmm. the francophone Creole, um, there's some understanding. Sometimes 40%, mm -hmm. sometimes 60% yes. of what people are saying, you know? But um, yeah, boy, Haiti is calling. Yeah, because there's a lot of inflections of French in there. Yeah, but Haiti is calling. You know, with the African intonations and resonances and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think we could kind of wrap it there, but I want to treat this as a part one because we can go on forever. Okay. <laughs> um, I want to just thank you for, for coming in. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I'll kind of just talk on the surface there. I mean, but, yeah, but, some, but some really good stuff came out of that. Yeah. And, oh, God forbid it didn't record, we'll have to do it all over again from scratch. But we got a nice warm up. Yeah. But yeah, but this has been a pleasure. And um, this is just, this merits um, at least another go around. Just, and that's just scratching the surface. That tells us how deep um, we can go into the art and the, the circumstance and the time, you know, and space. And I just think it's remarkable. And I love, I hope people going forward listening that, you know, getting something there and getting some more insight into the, the, the idea of um, how artists practice. And, you know, a lot of people have this idea, just wake, you know, have a dream, wake up and do it, you know, and it's work, you know. Mm -hmm. I would like to end on saying, you've been all over the global village with your work, and I was, I was going to say traipsing all over the global village with your performances, um, but I think you said, or would say, it didn't come easy. This is just... Um, it's not like you got woke up one day all privileged and then, hey, hold oh, a plane ticket and come by us. It's taken tremendous yeah. work, you know, work of art, as we say. So maybe we could get into that too now so we could do it next time. Yeah, because this is the year process, eh? so. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we have a part two, um, and I think. How time will, flies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that we don't think it's just sort of pie in the sky and it, it's, it's actually the, the culmination. Um, of a lot of hard work, thinking, life, spirit, um, distilled into a moment, really, in time yeah. that we get to witness, I guess. So that's something I'd like to get delve a little deeper into. But once again, thanks 
for coming into the Caribbean, being in the Caribbean, we're both in the same on the same island in the middle of a lockdown. Um, so yes, you know, ordinarily <laughs> thank you be, so much for that. Yeah, ordinarily we would be doing this face to face, you know. So and and everybody, hopefully, we can bear with any kind of little. Once it's 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 um, what's the word, boy? Once it's audible, I don't know what the word is. But once you can hear kind of clearly, thank God. They're going to be imperfections. It's a kind of humble setup, but I hope it's clear enough because this is so important, and I want to get the word. Yeah, so I hope it's out. Not. I hope it works out. So go to them, my friend, and in, um, I guess you're in the midst of practice as well. And all the best with that. So thanks Thank again, Abuzuru. Thank you so Abuzuru. much. Thank you so much. You have been working on a couple of things. You have been completing a series of. Um, any drawings right now at the moment mm. and um, well other things too I mean I had an exhibition postponed last year a major solo exhibition so that's also something I'm working on at the moment yeah you know? a lot of people yeah. on hold but when we take the hold off we're gonna just let go like you know madness now you know it's gonna be explosions yes. um, of power you know creativity spirit it's coming don't worry only the fittest of the fittest <laughs> shall survive Right, so here we come. Yes, we have to, you know. Here we, we come. Have to, and Dig. This is the time for artists to really get into the work in a very deep way. Yeah. You know? So, so. all the best and walk good, my friend. Take care. Thank you. Wonderful. Looking forward again. Okay. Thanks a lot, huh? Hey, okay. bye-bye. Bye-bye.